We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. How many of you have been to a movie? You're really excited. We just got out of like summer blockbuster era, and, and, and we all went and saw Avengers or whatever, and man, we were so excited for this like culmination of all things, right? And, and we're there, we're into it, and credits are opening up, you're wondering what's going on, and then all of a sudden, homeboy over here starts going to town on some popcorn. And you're immediately like snapped out of this immersive experience that you've been wanting because you're hearing hung, 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 or you know, and hung, hung, hung. You're like, what in the, this happens, yes, exactly like that. It's awful. And I don't know about you, but I want to see a movie. I want to, I want to dive in. I want to forget about everything else, but I've got people over here. You've got somebody on their phone, right? You've got somebody chewing on something. And life is kind of like that. In that, life is kind of like a movie. You want to focus on certain things. You want to be committed to certain things. You want your life to kind of, kind of be focused and geared towards one thing, and then stuff happens, right? Conflict breaks out in your home, and crunch, 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 you're like snapped out of it. I want to I get back into reading scripture every day, and all of a sudden, well, there's possibilities of layoffs in my work. And you begin to be distracted. You begin to be divided. We, we have a very hard time in our society being focused in on the things that are really important. We're fractured. We're divided. And I don't know if you feel that way. I do. And I've got this little thing in my pocket that's constantly reminding me of things I need to be worried about. So what I want us to talk about today as we look at pursuing God's better story for our life is how do we stay focused on God's better story? How do we ignore some of the distractions around us? And how do we dive in? How do we really line up and focus and really start living out God's better story for our lives, right? So we're in Matthew 6 today. Matthew 6, chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 25. And I want us to look at two things that distract us and then kind of one thing uh, to focus on. So the first thing in Matthew 6 is don't be distracted by what is. Don't be distracted by what is, right? So human beings are distracted. We're distracted a lot. And often we're distracted by the things that we need or the things that we want, the things we don't have, right? So we look at other people and we see what they have and we wonder, well, why don't I have that, right? Why don't I have that great job? And why am I in the job that I'm in right now? We have the same degree, I haven't graduated ahead of them. Why are they doing better than me? Why are they driving a nice Mercedes and I'm driving a 98 Toyota Avalon? That's what I actually drive. I ask that question regularly in my life. I don't want much more. Maybe a 99 something would be nice. I don't know. We look at other people's relationships. Man, why don't I have a marriage like that? Why is my marriage like this? Or why am I still single? Why don't I have kids like that? Why do I have the kids that I have, right? Hopefully you don't say that, but yeah, maybe. Moment of weakness, right? Why can't I sing like that? Why can't I play an instrument like that? Why do I have short, stubby fingers that can't get around a guitar neck? What's wrong with me? It's almost like we allow the world out there to tell us what the better story is, and we kind of fill in the blank with whatever that's supposed to be in our lives, right? Rather than letting God tell us what the better story is and living it out, right? 
Now, Jesus recognizes this effect that looking around has on us, and he says it actually causes us to worry. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. That word anxious means to be divided, right? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing, right? So when I focus on the things that I need to get done or the things that I want or the things that I need, and then I look at my ability or my inability to meet those needs, and I look at the gap between those two things, I immediately become fractured and divided. How am I going to take care of this? Oh my gosh, I don't think we're going to make rent this week. I don't know. I don't know that we're going to be able to pay off for more, but do we need to downsize? What are we going to do? How are we going to... And everything just kind of be, becomes frantic for us. How many of you have had this happen to you? You're focused, you're at home, work is kind of done, you're over for the day, and you're kind of hanging out at home, and all of a sudden you get that email from work, right? And it immediately, it's something, it's a meeting maybe about tomorrow, maybe it's a conflict that's happening, maybe it's a, a, a something that's gone wrong, and you're immediately transported, although you stay physically at your home, every other component of your body is now at the office, and that's where your mind and your heart and your soul live for the rest of your evening and well into the night. As you lay there and you try and sleep, you toss and turn, and you still, you're at work. Or you're at your kid's school because they got a bad report, or whatever it might be. You're physically in one place, but your mind is somewhere else. We're distracted. We're fractured by it, right? We start looking around, and we become fractured and divided we fixate on what is. That's what I mean by fixating on what is. We have needs, and those are real things. We have real needs, real desires, and that's not necessarily bad, but they're a reality, right? That's what happens. And then we fixate on that gap between what we have and what we want or what we have and what we need. And that gap sometimes gets bigger and bigger and bigger the more we worry rather than getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And what this does is this actually distracts me from God's better story for my life. Because look at what Jesus says back in verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Maybe our life story is better, is bigger than having a need, having a want, and then busting our tails to meet every need that we have. Maybe life is better than just meeting a series of needs and desires. Maybe there's something more to our story than that. Is there a better story than that? I think that there is. I think that there is. At the same time, though, Jesus actually affirms that we have needs. Notice he says, is not life more? But he also says that life isn't less, right? By implication, he's saying life's not less than needing food. We have needs. Jesus is not advocating some Eastern Buddhist type of divorce yourself from all physical needs, We'll all become kind of weird people that live in the desert and not have any physical... That's not what he's saying. Humans have needs. Human has desires. But when we allow ourselves to fixate on them, become focused on them, allow ourselves to be pulled in every direction by whatever desire or need we're currently feeling, we become fractured. We become less than the human being that we were designed to be. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not what God's better story is for our life. In fact, where that leads, where that culminates is anxiety and despair. If you want to know what sinful, sinful anxiety does to you, it leads you down a road of despair. You become a despairing person. 
Now, ironically, so Jesus looks at this sort of tendency we have to look around and, and to worry, and he tells us to do something. What's his command for us to do? Well, he strangely tells us to look around. He says, look around. Look at what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Then look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He calls us to look at things that often get overlooked. Now, if you're a bird watcher, congratulations. Jesus has literally commanded you to look at birds. So you are well into the will of God there. But look at birds. They don't save. They don't work. They don't have a job. They don't have 401k. They don't have a retirement plan. They have nothing. They just fly around and find food. They eat mosquitoes. Praise the Lord. Right? Lilies do even less. We're not even really sure what kind of lilies these are, but they don't do anything. They literally sit there, and they're beautiful. Saw some at Trader Joe's yesterday that it was like, oh, that's a lovely plant. What is that? And it's like, oh, that's a lily. Of course it is, because I'm preaching about this. They're gorgeous, and they are here for a little bit, and then they disappear. And by looking at these two things, Jesus tells us to realize two things about them. And in, in so doing, we realize two things about ourselves. One, we realize that we're valuable. We realize we're valuable. Look back at 26. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus says by looking at birds, you see that God actually cares for them. There's this thing called common grace where God takes care of his creation, regardless of whether or not you have a relationship with him or whether you do or you don't. So it doesn't matter. God's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you, right? So he takes care of it. He provides for the birds. And he says, we're worth more than birds. You're the crown of creation. You're made in the image of God. You're God's plan to represent himself to the rest of creation, to the birds. You are much more valuable than birds. He takes care of them. He will take care of you. So when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're concerned about the needs that keep piling up in your life, you need to remember one thing. God loves me and cares for me. God loves me and he cares for me. So much so that he sent his son for you. God gave up that which he found supremely valuable, his own son, and because you were alienated and estranged from him, because you don't have a relationship with him apart from Christ, because of sin, because of brokenness in our lives, he sends his son to pay the penalty for our sin. And now we have a relationship with him if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And so he's taking care of this big need because he loves us, because he cares for us, because we're valuable to him. And that leads us to the next thing we realize about ourselves. God cares for us. He cares for us. Look at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? They're beautiful flowers, and God takes care of them. They don't do anything at all. God will take care of our biggest needs. You need to hear that today. God will take care of you. And I know this because our biggest need is the fact that we were alienated from God. The fact that we had committed sin and we were all on this crash course to eternal separation from him. That's the biggest need that anybody has, no matter where you're at. It's bigger than hunger. It's bigger than needing water. It's bigger than anything. And God takes care of that for us by sending his son. So if he's going to take care of our big needs, why would he not take care of 
lesser needs. Of course he will. Of course he will take care of them. Of course he will take care of them because he loves us. And the biggest lie that we tell ourselves is that some provision comes from me and some provision comes from God. If we look at the lilies of the field, we look at the birds of the air, we'd say, God takes care of them. That lily doesn't do anything to take care of itself, but it's there, it exists. We assume, if you're a theist, that God is taking care of that plant. So why is it I look in my own life and think, well, I work really hard, so I, I, I provide for my family. You don't provide for your family. You don't. God provides for your family. He may use your job to do that. Great. He may use your salary to do that. Great. He may use your bonuses to do that. Great. That side hustle you're working on, also from God. That gift you got from your parents, also from God. All provision comes from God, whether you know him or not. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So when you find yourself focusing on what is, the reality of the fact that we have needs and we have to do things to meet those needs, and that creates worry and anxiety and fear in your life, whether that's a physical need like food and water or it's an emotional need like a relationship or whatever it might be, when you start focusing on those realities, remember that God loves you because he made you and remember that God cares for his creation and that's a greater reality than your needs. That's a bigger reality than your needs. God made you. He loves you. He died for you. He's going to take care of you. And that's just as real as your loneliness. It's just as real as your depression. It's just as real as your bank account. It's just as real as the, uh, the debts that you have. It's just as real as the anxiety that you feel when you think about Monday morning and how difficult your work week is going to be. When reality slaps you in the face, as a follower of Jesus Christ, your response has to be, I know of a bigger reality. I know of a truer reality. I know a meta-narrative that you are unaware, a little worry or concern that I have. And it is that my God loves me and that he's going to take care of me and he's going to show me what I need to do in this situation in my life. And that's a bigger story. That's how you live out Jesus' bigger story for your life, is by putting him central and saying, God, there's bills I can't pay. What are you going to do? Help me. What are you going to do? I'm waiting for you to show up. I'm expecting you to do something. I need you. And I think he will work. I believe he will work. So let's not focus on what is. And if we find ourselves doing that, focus in on the bigger what is. But we also don't need to be distracted by what isn't. Don't be distracted by what isn't. So reality is not the only thing that drives us to distraction, right? We get really focused on like contingencies, possibilities, what-ifs, right? This is the stuff that keeps me up in the middle of the night. That pain that I have in my side, is that a pain in my side? Oh, let's look at WebMD, it's cancer. Great. <laughs> and you laugh, but we do this. Things that aren't even remotely possible, we find ourselves just absolutely focused on. Things that may never happen, we have contingency plans. Arguments that we never actually plan on having, we actually have in our car on the way to have lunch with this friend, and then we never talk about anything like that, right? We are driven to distraction by possibilities, contingencies, what-ifs. And in 627 and in 634, Jesus kind of addresses this for us. He tells us not to be distracted by these illusions, right? And he gives us two very specific illusions. The first one is, don't be distracted by the illusion of control. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, 
can add a single hour to his span of life. So he's talking about how many of you by worrying can, can make yourself live longer. Now you might say, well, Travis, I can, I can make myself live longer. I can eat better. I can eat healthier. You know, I can not eat so, so many fried things or whatever, and I can drink water, cut out the sodas, everything that everybody tells me to do. I can do these things, and I can live longer. Well, you might be right. But ultimately, you will die. You will die. Some of the healthiest people I know die early. Some of the most unhealthy people that I know live to be 100. Now, there's some general practices and principles we can put into place, but the bottom line is we are going to die. And worrying about it isn't actually going to make us live any longer. And this idea, this concept that Jesus brings up actually can apply to so many things. How many of you, by worrying about a recession, is actually going to make your business grow? Most of us can't control, unless there's somebody here that's working in the Fed that I don't know about, most of us can't control whether or not our economy goes into a recession. But we agonize and fret over it anyway. How many of you can make your marriage better by trying to fix your spouse? The answer is zero of you. Forgive the bad English, but that's true. How many of you can make somebody fall in love with you? by going back again and again and again to your various online dating profiles to see if anybody's commented, reached out, whatever. How many of you can add any time to your life by worrying about it? We desperately want control. Not just some control, but total control. Because I think that if I'm in control, then you know what happens? I'm insulated, I'm protected. I'm At least if something bad happens, I'm ready for it, Right? But the illusion of control and the lie that, it's, that it feeds you is that by you being in control, you're better off. That's not true. Because you can't see every possibility. You don't know all the what-ifs. But we know someone that does. You have to give God control of your life and not buy into the illusion of control. We have to get into the habit of giving God control. Because I get it. Life gets out of control sometimes. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe the illusion of control is breaking and reality's kind of peering through and you're like, man, I got, I got a little bit of time before everything just falls apart. I mean, your wife's threatened to leave, your husband's threatened to leave, your kids are just full-on rebellion, you don't know what to do. You know layoffs are coming in your company. Maybe just loneliness is at the breaking point for you. And you're like, I'm, I, I, I can't self-medicate anymore, I don't know how to fix this. Whatever remains of the control that you have or that you thought you had, I want you to take that and give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I should have done this a long time ago. Here's my life. Take control. Take control of it. Because I've made a mess of things. I've made a hash of things. And this is actually an act of faith. Go back to verse 30. Verse 30. O you of little faith. O you of little faith. We show ourselves to be of little faith when we demand control, when our lives and our, our manipulations and our control of our lives look, doesn't look any different than anybody else around us. Because remember, illusions only last for so long. At some point, the movie's over and you have to go back to reality. Right? So hand over to God the fragile pieces of your life. Because he loves you and he will take care of you. This does not mean that everything's going to be fixed the way that you thought it would be fixed doesn't mean that everything's going to work out just perfectly and everybody's going to have like this storybook ending, okay? What it does mean is that you will be in the safest place you can possibly be, and that is in the hand of God. And that is the most unassailable position that anybody can be in. It can be scary, yes. 
but it is completely safe. So don't be distracted by the illusion of control. Also, don't be distracted by the future. Another thing that we think is real, but it's not. Verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We like to think we can predict the future, right? Some of you already have had or will have your fantasy football drafts, right? And you are trying to predict the future. Will my running back be a 2,000-yard rusher? Or will my running back blow out his ACL in the last preseason game of the year? Will my quarterback retire right before the season begins? <laughs> Sorry about you. We try to predict larger things like stock markets, housing markets, businesses, market trends, culture, politics, right? We try to predict, predict personal things. Is my, wife gonna, is my spouse going to be happy when I come home or not? My kid's going to be behaved today or not, right? Job security, relationships, we try to predict things. And what's more is future's always coming, right? Future's inevitable, it's just on its way. The next second is right here, and then the next second, and the next second. And Jesus reminds us not to be anxious about tomorrow. Because today, right now, has enough problems of its own, right? On top of that, the troubles and worries that we are worried about next week, or next year, or next month, guess what? They might not ever come. That meeting that you're worried about on Tuesday, that you don't want to go to for whatever reason, might not ever happen. Or maybe the part that you're worried about is going to be way better than you thought it would be. And you're agonizing over nothing. If your boss wants to have a meeting first thing in the morning with you and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this isn't going to be good. Maybe not. Maybe it's going to be great. Maybe not. But here's the thing. We don't know. The future's always coming, but we don't know what's going to happen. We don't have that kind of foresight. And what's more is Jesus Christ may show up on Monday, and that meeting on Tuesday will be canceled because there will be no meetings in heaven, praise God. <laughs> Look, I know there's a great deal of uncertainty in the future. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try and plan and provide. There's nothing wrong with that. But if your plans and provisions are what the only thing you focus on. And if your plans and provisions get scrapped, and if I tell you right now that all of your plans are going to be ruined tomorrow, and you get like large anxiety, that's when you're putting your hope and faith in a plan rather than in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is reliable. He can be trusted. You can count on him. He will not disappoint you. He's not going to let you down. In fact, one of the ways that God is described in the Old Testament is faithful. It's used over and over and over again. In fact, God is described as so faithful that even promises that he makes that aren't realized yet are talked about in the past tense because they're so guaranteed to happen, they might as well have already happened. No matter what the future holds, whether it's trial, pain, difficulty, hurt, or it's awesome and glorious and joy and happy, whatever that future has for you, it will be better if you walk through it with the Lord. Because when we face an uncertain future, we need to rely deeply on the one who is certain. And that is God. He is unchanging. The future changes all the time. Who knows what's going to happen? But God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's the kind of person I want with me in the midst of, an, of a changing situation. So don't just give him one tomorrow. Don't give him two tomorrows. Give every tomorrow you have to him. Because tomorrow's coming. It's an onslaught of tomorrows. But we can let that go and we can rest our tomorrows in Jesus Christ. So, 
We've talked about what not to focus on. Don't focus on what is. Don't focus on what isn't. And if you're smart, which I think many of you are, you realize that doesn't leave a whole lot of ground for what I'm supposed to focus on. So what am I supposed to focus on? Well, you focus on both. Focus on both what is and what isn't. Now, if you're sitting there, you're probably thinking what I thought about halfway through the week as I was writing this, where I said, Travis, you've taken a really practical sermon and you've made it really complicated for some reason. And that's where I was about Wednesday. But I think Jesus is really trying to tell us something here. I think there's something really kind of hidden within uh, this, this passage that I think is exciting. Um, so let's look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? So he's, he's going back through sort of his don't worry about things. Then verse 32, for the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles aren't an ethnicity here. They're people who go about life without faith, right? So the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So what he's saying here in verse 32 is, there's a whole group of people out there that God cares for. They're people without faith. God still provides for them, but they don't have the comfort and security of knowing that God cares for them. And so they're constantly scrambling, trying to fix everything themselves. And what he's saying is, don't be like them. And many of us look like that. Many of us function like practical atheists. We think everything's on us, right? We scramble around and try to control everything. We try to manipulate the future, right? That's what we've talked about. So Jesus says these things, and then in verse 33, he gives us the key to living an unanxious life. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The kingdom of God is both. It is what is, and it is what isn't. Now that sounds very, I don't know, guru-y, doesn't it? But the kingdom of heaven is an already and a not yet concept. It is already in that the kingdom of God invades earth when Jesus Christ is incarnated and put in the flesh on earth. As he dwells amongst men, the kingdom of God advances. And it secures a lasting foothold, a permanent foothold in the world, when Jesus Christ is crucified, buried, and then resurrected. And so since then, the kingdom of God is advancing. It's moving forward. It's moving forward in every heart of every person who believes in Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God is moving forward. So it already is. But it doesn't exist yet in its fullness. Because the kingdom of God actually exists in its fullness when Christ returns. So it's already, and it's not yet. It is, and it isn't. And Jesus tells us to seek this thing that already is and already isn't. So how do we do that? How do we focus on that? Well, if you're going to focus on something, you need to know what it is, right? You need to know what it is for you to focus on it. And that's what I want us to talk about today. There's pretty much four ideas as to what the kingdom of God is. And I want to take all four of these and get a holistic view of what the kingdom of God is so that we know how to pursue it, how to seek it first to the exclusion of the distractions around us. So the first thing is the kingdom of God is in me. It's in me. So the spirit of God comes to live inside of us when we trust in Jesus Christ as our savior. He comes and sets up shop. He comes, dwells inside of us and the kingdom of God exists within me. So it's vitally important for me to seek after the kingdom of God. I need to seek after the king, Jesus Christ, in my own personal relationship with him. Prayer, fasting, reading scripture, those are all things that you can do to seek after the kingdom of God in your life. But there's one thing I want to talk about today that I think not only will help you seek the kingdom, but also help you deal with anxiety, fear, and worry in your life. And it's the art of meditation. Meditation is a spiritual discipline that you can use in your life and it's been proven to deal with anxiety. It's been proven to deal with fear. 
Because the world around us specializes in noise, worry, and distraction, and anxiety. But meditation requires us to focus. So meditation is not an Eastern form of meditation where you detach yourself, again, from all needs. That's not what we're talking about here. In Christian meditation, you're actually filling yourself up with something. You detach yourself from the fears and the anxiety, sure. And you reattach yourself to the certainty, the trust, and the promise of Jesus Christ. So usually you're meditating on something, a scripture perhaps, a truth that God's revealed to you, something like that. One of the practices that you can use, and, and I read about this in a book this week, um, I'll talk about that in a minute, it's called Palms Down, Palms Up. So put your palms down, everybody put your palms down. And as you're praying to the Lord, you take whatever you're worried about, whatever anxiety, whatever fear, whatever concern, whatever's dominating your mind at the time, and you put your palms down, and you kind of give it to God. You're like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm worried about what's coming up this week, and I just want to give it to you. I want to let it go, and I want to give it to you. And then as you're doing that, and as you feel led to do so, you then turn your palms up. And you said, but Lord, what I want from you, what I want, I want you to give me is your perspective on this. I want you to take care of this issue. I want you to step in here. And that's a way you can physically begin to meditate, right? There's a great book called Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. It's one of the five best books that any Christian should read. I made up, the, I don't know what the other four are, but it's one of the five. <laughs> you should read it. You should buy it today on Amazon. In fact, I won't even be mad at you if you pull out your phone right now and order it. It's that good. And it will give you tools to grow the kingdom of God in you, right? Kingdom of God is in me. It's also in us. Kingdom of God's found in the church. So if I'm a believer, you're a believer. If the spirit of God is in me and you, therefore it's in us as a group, right? So it's important for us as a group of believers to spend time together, to grow together. So seeking out the kingdom is seeking out relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. To not do the Christian faith alone, but to do it in community. Find people that you can be vulnerable with. There's a whole world out there I understand you can't be vulnerable with. But there are people in here you can be vulnerable with. You can tell them what you're worried about. You can tell them your fears. One of the great places to do that is care and recovery. It's one of the Wednesday night ministries that's starting back up this Wednesday. You can go and open up about, if, if you struggle with like anxiety and depression, I get that. Struggle with anxiety too. I've taken medicine for it in my life. You can go and talk to people there. That's a good starting place. Men's small groups. Look, I understand. As a guy, it's hard for us sometimes to open up and to share with other people. But you need a group of men to walk through life with you. Even if it's just two or three guys. Men's small groups. Maybe you just need to show your commitment to the larger body of Christ. Baptism is how you do that. That can be your way of saying, hey, I'm committed to seeking the kingdom in a group of people, so I'm going to get baptized. Maybe you get baptized on September 8th. So the kingdom of God is here, and it's here among us. It's in us. It's also in the world. So it's in the world. Oftentimes the kingdom of God gets linked to a political entity, right? The Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire. The United States sometimes gets labeled with that. That's not the best way to look at the kingdom of God. But there are real socio-political issues which the kingdom of God addresses. People are starving. People are hurting. People are being abused. There's racism. Those are things that the kingdom of God addresses. And as the kingdom of God advances, those things should disappear. And ultimately, they will all disappear when Christ returns. So if you're going to seek the kingdom of God, you need to seek the kingdom of God in serving other people. Getting outside of these walls and going and serving in our city, serving in our world, maybe going on a mission trip. Maybe serve the people that are closest to you. 
There's people at work that are, that are worried about layoffs, people at work that are concerned about, they've got, they've got depression and anxiety, and they're lost. They have no idea who Christ is. They're one of those Gentiles. Maybe your pursuit of God's bigger story in your life is helping them see God's bigger story for their life. Don't hog the narrative. Spread it. Share the story. So it's in the world. It's also in the end. Ultimately, like I said, the kingdom of God arrives in its fullness and in its glory when Christ returns and he sets up a new heaven and a new earth. And everything gets made right. And you might say, Travis, well, what do I do to bring that about? I don't know that you do anything to bring that about. Except pray. Let's all pray. Lord, come soon. Come soon. When you see that news story that just saddens your heart, when you see that news story about, about politics and things, you're like, oh my gosh, where's our country going? And that, that, that mantra that gets fed to us, right? Turn to the Lord and say, Lord, we need a better government, and it's you. It's Jesus Christ, glorified and resurrected. It's in me, it's in us, it's in the world, and it's going to be in the end. And that's what we seek. That's the kingdom of God. That's what we pursue to the exclusion of everything else. And Jesus tells us, and all those things will be added unto you. He's going to take care of us. So don't be distracted by what is. Whatever needs you got, whatever been playing in your mind this whole time we've been spending time together, let that go. And focus in on the fact that Jesus loves you and he cares for you and he did enough to die on the cross for you. And he's going to do much more. Don't focus on what isn't. The illusion of control, the future that may or may not exist. Focus in on the kingdom of God. So what I want to do is, I know that many of us struggle with anxiety, fear, worry. Some of you this morning are just absolutely consumed with it. There's something that you just can't get your mind off of. I've been there. I, I, I have been there, trust me. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to take a bold step of faith, to not be, oh, you of little faith. If you're that person, if you're somebody that's just really worried today, I want you to stand up. Just you, Not everybody, just one person, two people that are, that are worried. If you're worried today, if you're concerned, you can stand up. It's okay. You're worried. You're concerned. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray over you. See, there's lots of people that are concerned. Lots of people that are afraid. And what I want is I want other people around you to kind of grab your hand, put a hand or a shoulder on you. And I'm going to pray, but we're going to pray over you who are worried and afraid. Because that's not what God's better story is for you. His story is not that you be afraid. Not be worried. So let's pray together. Father God, we love you. And I ask, Lord, that for each person in this room that is worried and anxious about something, maybe they know exactly what it is, maybe they just have this unsettled feeling that just stays with them. I pray that you would give them peace. I pray that you would give them joy. I pray that you would give them freedom. And I pray that you would remind them of your better story for their life. I pray that they would know that you love them, that you're going to take care of them, and that whatever it is that looms in the future, Lord God, however clearly, however darkly that is, Lord God, I pray that you would chase away those clouds and that freedom and joy and hope would be theirs today. I pray that they would not give in to despair, but that your joy and your hope would fill their lives. I pray that after it's all over, they would be able to sing and glorify you. And they might remember this day as the day that things turned. And anxiety and worry and fear didn't have control of their life anymore, but you did. So we love you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. 
Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.